Hebrews chapter 10. We're going to read 18 verses uh, this morning, about half the chapter. Beginning in verse 1, it says, The law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the reality themselves. Now, I'm not going to preach on that point, but I'm just going to tell you that if the law points to all goodness, right? And you think about the law, and if the law were lived perfectly, how different would the world be, right? Saying the law points to goodness, but it's just a shadow of the goodness that's coming, amen? And so, so, so the law, if it were perfectly fulfilled um, by all people, that would still just be a shadow of how good it's going to be when Christ comes back and when the trumpets blare. And, and just, just, just imagine how good it, it's going to get. Uh, it goes on, it says, for this reason... It can never, it's talking about the law, by the same sacrifice repeated endlessly year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. If it could, would they not have stopped being offered? For the worshipers would have been cleansed once for all and would no longer have felt guilty for their sins. But those sacrifices are an annual reminder of sins, because it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Therefore, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me with burnt offerings and sin offerings you were not pleased. Then I said, Here I am. It is written about me in the scroll. I have come to do your will, O God. First, he said, sacrifices and burnt offerings and sin offerings you do not desire, nor were you pleased with them, although the law required them to be made. And then he said, here I am, I have come to do your will. He sets aside the first to establish the second. And by that will, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Day after day. Every priest stands and performs his religious duties again and again. He offers the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But when this priest had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. Since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool because by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. The Holy Spirit also testifies to us about this. First, he says, this is the covenant I will make with them. After that time, says the Lord, I will put my laws in their hearts and I will write them on their minds. Then he adds, their sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. Verse 18, and where these have been forgiven, there is no longer any sacrifice for sins. Lots of good stuff. Here's our lesson this morning. This is kind of our banner. This is where everything we're going to talk about comes from. It's just this simple statement that's made here in, in the text. It's made in verse 10. Verse 10 says, And by that will we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. And, and that's really what we've been leading up to for several weeks, is this truth that Jesus is a better sacrifice, right? Right? 
That, 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 that's the point they're making, is that the blood of bulls and goats doesn't cut it, doesn't actually forgive sins, but, but Christ's blood does, and, and therefore it doesn't have to be repeated. Therefore, the old system, the old covenant, the old way of worship has been done away with. It's been set aside for this better covenant because of this better sacrifice. And so uh, that's the heart of our text. And in these 18 verses, I want to show you three uh, really, really powerful things if you can internalize them. And here's the first, okay? According to our text, beginning in verse 1, I want you to see that the law points to perfection, but it's powerless to provide it. The law points to perfection, but it is powerless to provide it. Verse 1 says the law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the reality themselves. For this reason, get this, it can never, by the same sacrifices repeated endlessly year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. This is the problem with the law. The the law points to perfection. It says you need to be holy. It says you need to be righteous. It says you need to be perfect because God is perfect. But it provides no power for you to do so. That's a great problem for us. So what does the law do? Well, the law tells us how we should live, doesn't it? The the, the law uh, tells us the kind of life that is is pleasing unto God. That's what the law does. It it points to God. It says there's God and and God is holy. Therefore, because God is is this way, you should live uh, this way. So it points to his character. It points to his heart. It says this is what's required of you. This is what you need to do. Right? You need to love God with all that you are. You need need to love Him above all other things. The law points to it, but it doesn't give you the power to do it, right? The the, the law says that you need to love people that God has made in His own image. You need to love them. You need to love them like you would love yourself. Because God made them. It says, the law says that you need to love yourself. And understand that you are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works which He prepared in advance for you to do and that you're, get this, His masterpiece and you need to love yourself like a masterpiece of God. And then, and then the law says, and, and here's some, some tangible ways to do that. God says, let me flesh that out for those of you that are a little slow. Everybody says, thank you, Lord. And so the law points to God and it says live accordingly. So I want you to see, the law is external. It is, it is mechanical. The law is the heart of religion because it is a list of rules. It is a list of rules that tell you how you should live but don't provide you with the means to actually do it. It's a list of stuff to do. And here's our problem, right? This is the heart of our sinful nature, right? Our, our, our hearts are deceitful above all things. Our problem is we like lists, don't we? Boy, do we like lists, right? And so, so because we, we, we love lists so, so much, we, we begin to, to, to add and, and write down these lists. And here's our belief. We think that the longer that our list is, the more that we might look like the one that the list is pointing towards, right? So we keep adding to the list because all the things on the list point towards God. That's the point of the law. They point towards God. So we honestly think if our list is longer, if we have a bigger list than somebody else, and, and all those things are pointing to God, that, that makes us righteous somehow, doing all these external things. 
And so we, we began with the list. We said, well, let's start with Jesus, right? Jesus said, love your neighbor. Uh, he says, love God with all of your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. That is on the list. So I'm going to write those two things down. Now, the problem is Jesus says all the other commandments hang on these two. You did these two, you'd be doing well. But we, we, we ignore that part because we like to make lists. And we walk around with that list and we say, my list only has two things on it. I'm a loser. I mean, look at those people that have 52 million things on their list. Look at how religious they are. Look at how, how good they look on the outside. So that those two must not cut it through. So you know what? We've got to add some other things. So let's, do, let's, let's add those 10 things from Exodus 20. Because those Ten Commandments, those sound good. I mean, sure, that's moral law. So now we're, we're, we've got a list of 12. And in addition to, to loving God with all of our heart and loving our neighbors ourselves, now we're, we're going to have no other gods before God. We're not going to bow down to idols. We're not going to covet anything our neighbor has. We're not going to steal. We're not going to kill. We're not going to do these things. And so now we've, now we've got a list of 12, and that's pretty good. But again, there's people that have more on their list. And because we love lists, and we think the longer our list is, the more we're like God somehow, magically. We keep adding to our list. And so we say, well, okay, what else can I do? And the problem is that, that, that then you have to start getting into Levitical law, which is situational law written for a people in a time of which you are not. So we rape and pillage the text and pull it out and try to make it applicable to today. But you're not, you're not Jewish. You're not an Israelite. You're not living in the desert. It doesn't really apply. But we're, by golly, we're going to rape and pillage that sucker and make it apply. So now we can't have tattoos. Right? So, so, so you can't plant your fields 50-50. You can't. I mean, and so we just began. And, and, and then now if we're going to do that. Then, then again, now I've only got 13 things on my list. And I need more things that I might be more like God. Because I've got to be godly. Because that's the heart of it. And so we begin, well, there's got to be something else. So we look at Jesus again and say, Jesus, surely you're holding out on me something. You gave me two commands. And though Jesus drank wine and his first miracle was to turn water into wine, right? And not just like cheap Mad Dog 2020 Strawberry Hill business, but I mean legitimate best wine of, that you've ever tasted kind of business. We say, but no, people could have problems with that. So let me explain all those things away about Jesus and let me add to his perfect life some other kind of measure because I need a longer list. And so we begin to make this list because we honestly think in our heart of hearts that if we have this list, we're going to be more like God. And so, so then the problem is now we're out of Scripture. We don't even know what else to do, so we just start making up stuff. Well, I read somewhere that said Jesus prayed in the morning. I think that we should always get away every single morning, and let's, let's call that something. What should we call that? It's quiet in the morning. Oh, there you go. You should have a quiet time. Every single day. And it's got to be in the morning because if you have your quiet time at night, everybody knows that's not how Jesus did it. So that doesn't count. And, and when you pray, you know what? You need to pray like this. P means something, and R means something, and A means something, and Y means something. That's how you pray. If you don't like that one, then you have to pray out like this. A means something, and C means something, and T means something, and S means something. And we've got a system for it, and you've got to check that off, right? And, and by golly, what you listen to, that better be Christian music. We've got to invent some radio stations that only play Christian music, even though they're making millions and millions of dollars, and we're not like translating the Bible any faster. But people live in big homes. But we've got to do that. And, and we, we, we just continue, what else, what else can I do, right? I mean, I mean we, we've got to share our faith. Now, that's a commandment. But how often? Every single day. Did you share your faith with somebody today? Did you check that off your list today? Did you, did you do that, right? 
You've got to go to this Bible study or that Bible study. You've got to read 15,000 marriage books while you and your spouse are on completely opposite ends of the house not speaking to one another, reading the marriage books, right? Because that's godly. Looks like Jesus, right? Or you could sit next to each other and talk. I'm just saying. Might cover the whole book. Add this habit. Drop that one. Say these kind of things. By all means, stop saying these kind of things. And, and, and our list gets longer and longer. And again, because we believe that if we do enough stuff that points towards God, we will somehow start to become like God. That's our belief. And it's a broken belief. We, we, we think that somehow that this stuff is going to make us look like God. And it does make us look like God in appearance, but it never actually makes us like Him. Because all this stuff is exterior, okay? So uh, walk through this with me. I've got a big tree in my front yard. Luckily, it's not a gigantic oak that's going to fall in the house and be uprooted because we no longer have soil. Because we've had, you know, we've caught up on rain, right? Have, have we? Uh, so I want you to imagine, a big tree, I love the tree in my front yard. I love it. Love it. The, the birds love it. The squirrels love it. During the summer, we'll go put blankets underneath it and we'll read books with the kids and we'll hang out and it's just great shade, okay? But I just want you to imagine that tomorrow I wake up and I decide, uh, while the tree's cool, I, I really wanted an apple tree. And so uh, I, I go to H-E-B and I buy bushels and bushels and bushels of apples, which is really weird because I don't really know what a bushel is, but I'm going to buy them anyway and I'm going to get a big ladder and I'm going to go up into my tree and I'm going to begin to staple apples on every branch. I'm going to staple and tie apples to every single branch in my tree. And now here's the deal. When you drive by, you're going to think, I didn't even know that was an apple tree. Look at that great, big, glorious apple tree. That's what it looks like. Of course, does that really make my tree an apple tree? No, it makes me a loon. It makes me a quack, but it doesn't make my tree an apple tree. Why? Because all I did was staple stuff onto the outside. It did nothing to change the inside of of, of what that tree really is. The law can tell you what to do. But only Christ's sacrifice for your sake. Only the gospel can give you the power to do it. The law can tell you to love God and it can tell you to love others, but only His his perfect life and His sacrificial death and resurrection gives you the power to actually do those things. And it does that because when we put our faith in Christ, He actually makes us new. And He takes our, our dead, cold hearts... And and he gives us a new heart, and and implanted, imprinted, written on that heart is the law of God. And so from the inside out, we start to want to do the things of God. From the inside out, we can actually produce fruit, not just staple on dying fruit. You see the difference? See the difference? Because it's an internal change. So the law points to perfection but it's powerless to provide it. Number two, number two, according to our text this morning, I want you to see that God desires people who truly desire Him. God desires people who truly desire Him. I'm starting in verse 5, and I'm going to read through 8. It says, Therefore, when Christ came into the world, He said... 
sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me with burnt offerings and sin offerings you were not pleased. Then I said, here I am. It is written about me in the scroll. I have come to do your will, O God. First, he said, sacrifices and offerings, burnt offerings, sin offerings you did not desire, nor were you pleased with them, although the law required them. Then he said, here am I, I have come to do your will. I want to do this this morning with you. I, I want to, um, let's, let's do this. I, I, there is a chapter of scripture that everybody knows and nobody understands. A whole chapter. Like, I mean, it's often I find a verse of scripture that everybody knows and nobody understands. But th- there's a whole chapter of scripture in the Bible that nobody understands. Okay, Ready? You're gonna, once I tell you to turn to it, you're going to have all these flooding thoughts in your mind, all these pleasantries, and you're going to start swaying. You go, oh, this is such a lovely passage, and you have no clue what it means. Ready? All right. So turn with me, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. All right? Whole chapter. We're going to read the whole chapter. It's only 13 verses, so don't freak out. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the, the, literally a chapter in the Bible that everybody knows, and nobody knows what it's actually talking about, Okay? So we're going to read the chapter, and it's going to incite within you all of these wonderful, warm, bubbly feelings. Some of you are going to be transported back to that wedding day where you looked at your bride and you committed your life to her until you died or she killed you. And, uh, you know, uh, it's, just, it's going to be sweet and lovely. And so here, here we go, Paul, just poetically, right? If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but I have not love, I've got to get the voice down. Hold on. It's for a wedding, right? I mean, that's what it's for. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but I have not love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move the mountains, but I have not love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when perfection comes, the imperfect disappears When I was a child, I talked like a child, and I thought like a child, and I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put childish ways behind me. Now we see but a poor reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part. Then I shall fully, uh, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Now, you read those verses and you hear them at a wedding. And so you read those verses in church and everybody thinks, yes, yes, love. We, we hear these verses. We think marriage. This is what we, we have made this passage mean. The problem is this passage isn't about marriage at all. It's not even close. 
It's not even close. In fact, if you kind of want to get a glimpse of what the passage is about, you read the verse just right before 13. He says, and now I will show you the most excellent way. So he's saying, this is all attached to what I've already said. So you turn back and you look at chapter 12, and all of a sudden it's talking about spiritual gifts. See, see, 1 Corinthians 13 and the love that is talked about there actually has to do with, with, with spiritual gifts, the body uh, of Christ having many parts, that some are more important than others. It's about spiritual service. It's about roles in the church. It's about spiritual um, resumes. That, that's what it's about. And so 12.1, it starts with spiritual gifts, right? And then 12.12 and then begins to talk about the fact that we're one body with many parts and some of us seem to be more elevated and have more highly roles than others. And then it's going to talk more about some gifts again. And, 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 then, and then it's going to get to verse 13 and talk about love. Then it's going to get to verse 14 and talk about speaking in tongues because the church in Corinth was abusing the gift. And, and they were elevating themselves based on a certain giftedness, based on a certain role. And Paul goes, you know what the answer is for all of that? I, I don't care what gift you might possess. I don't care what role you may have been assigned in the church. I don't care what your spiritual resume is. If you do anything and you say that you're doing it for the Lord, but you don't do it out of a love for the Lord, it is pointless and it's dead. That's what he's saying. If if what you're doing for the Lord is not done out of love for God, it is a dead work and it means nothing. And it produces nothing. That's what Paul's saying. There's 1 Corinthians 13. Right? And and so so the point is, this is what Jesus is saying. I mean, mean, just hear it again. Okay, I'm I'm back in Hebrews 10. Uh, He he says in in verse 5, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me with burnt offerings and sin offerings you were not pleased. Then he said, Here I am. It is written about me in the scroll. I have come to do your will, O God. And the heart of what that is saying is that what God desires is people that desire Him. God is not looking for a long list of external sacrifices that you do on a regular basis begrudgingly. God doesn't care about that. He doesn't care about the service that you commit unto Him with the wrong attitude and the wrong heart. What God wants is somebody that loves Him and says, God, here I am, I want to do Your will. That's the heart. God desires people that that desire Him. Our obedience has to flow out of and and from a love for God. You know, the Israelites, they were great at obeying the external part of the law, weren't they? Think about the Pharisees. Jesus looked at them and He said, Listen, you you even tithe tithe a portion of all your spices, your mint and your dill and your cumin. Like, Really? Like, like, I mean, just imagine you're cooking, right? And, and you're like, oh, it calls for a teaspoon of oregano. You're like, oop, well, there's a tenth of it. That's got to go to the church. Now I'll put in the rest. They tithed the tenth of everything. It was so external. And they believed that that made them righteous. And Jesus says, you're not righteous. You do these things begrudgingly. You don't desire God. And, and, and guys, I'm going to let you in on this little secret. If you do this stuff externally... Not only are you not going to love God, but you're actually going to learn to kind of hate him. You're going you're to kind of start to think that God is some big bully that just demands this and this and this and this of you. And, and God's thing is, no, I want you to love me. And then out of love for me, naturally will come fruit. Naturally will come service. God desires people who truly desire him. Uh, guys, have you ever... Uh, I'll pick on the guys. Ladies never forget anything, so we know that. So just talk to the guys for a moment. 
Uh, guys, have you ever forgotten a birthday or an anniversary or like, you know, like women will be like, they, do you know what today is? Uh-uh. Come on, you know what today is, don't you? I'm like, nope. My watch says the 24th. She's like, uh, you know, today was the first time we ever held hands. Yeah, I was just thinking that the other, yeah, it was, yeah. Uh, you know, but whatever. This is our first date. This is the first time we kid. Like, women can remember everything. We're not so great with those details. Men, have you ever forgotten a big one? Anniversary, birthday, something that was important to your wife, and they got you something? Has that ever happened to you? Like, right? They, they got you a card, and they, they got you, like, a gift, and they were like, they were like, they were like, here, baby, do you, and they give you that gift, and you're like, uh-oh. <laughs> uh-oh, I am in trouble, I'm going to talk my way out of this, it's still at the shop, it's like, so now we're lying, because Jesus really loves that, and, uh, and that really brings two sinners together, you know, uh, and, and, and so, so what, what do we, so you then are, are caught, and you kind of have to, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry, I, I forgot, blah, blah, and then you have to go out and you buy the guilt gift, right, which is always more expensive, uh, and you're trying to, you're, you know, you're basically this is, this is old school. Uh, you're trying to buy a pardon for the sin you've committed. And uh, yeah, yeah, there you go. God bless you. And, uh, and uh, so, so you, you, this is what you're trying to do, right? Uh, there's some men laughing because I know this kind of activity has happened before in life. You don't have to confess it. I'm just saying, right? Now here's the deal. So, so you spent more money. You bought this ba- great, big, extravagant gift. Now, let me ask you a question. Do you believe that your wife enjoys the, the oh my gosh, I forgot, I spent, now I spent a ton of money gift for you? Does she enjoy that more? Or would she rather you have bought her something very simple, but something that was very thoughtful, and you have actually remembered the purpose of the occasion? I'll tell you, every time, unless your wife's heart is hard, <laughs> Every time she's going to want you to remember and she'll take the simpler gift and the one that had more thought every single time. 10 out of 10, not 9 out of 10 out of 10. Why? Why? Because we are made in the image of God and we desire people that desire us. Right? We've been reading a book uh, as a staff by J.D. Greer called, called The Gospel. And uh, I love this one little quote. He says, no one wants to be loved out of obligation. No one wants to be loved out of obligation. Friends, if that's true of your marriage, why would it not be true about your relationship with God? God doesn't want to be loved out of obligation. He doesn't, he doesn't want you to be required by the law to serve him in this way or that way. He wants you to love him and from the overflow of the love you have for him to serve him, to love him, okay? Last thing I want to show you in our text this morning uh, is this, number three. Because of Christ's sacrifice, we have been declared perfect forever, even though we are works in progress, okay? Because of Christ's sacrifice, we have been declared perfect forever, even though we are works in progress. Verse 14 through 18, it says, Because by one sacrifice he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. And then look at verse 18, it says, And where these have been forgiven, there is no longer any sacrifice for sins. 
right? Verse 17, it says, Their sins and lawless acts I'll remember no more. And where these have been forgiven, there's no longer any sacrifice for sin. So I I just need you to write this down somewhere. Uh, In Christ, I am perfect. Just write that down. In Christ, I am perfect. This This is what God has declared you. God has declared that in Jesus, you are perfect. This is, this is what verse 14 is. By, uh, by, by one sacrifice, or because by one sacrifice, he is made perfect forever. Okay? So in Christ, I am perfect, and in Christ, I am being made holy. That's what the text would teach us. Okay? Now, I want you to hear the, the original language here when it says, by one sacrifice he's made perfect forever. The word forever means forever. But the, the, the phrase made perfect is pretty interesting. It means to complete, uh, it, it means to complete or, or, or to make perfect. But, but it's actually in, in, a, in a specific uh, tense here in the Greek. It's actually written in the perfect tense. And see, the perfect tense, if you're not an English major, it it means that this is an action that was completed in the past. So it's been done. It was completed in the past. It was a once and for all action. Okay? And it, it does not need repeating. Jesus was our once and for all sacrifice for sin. He, he made us, by His sacrifice, He made us once and for all, one time only, no need to be repeated, perfect forever. That's what happened when Jesus died and conquered death and rose again. When we put our faith and trust in Him, we are made perfect forever. That's our identity. That's our identity. But it even gets better than that. Not only are we declared perfect forever in the sight of God, not only, verse 17, does God, uh, what does it say? It, it says, their sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. It's it, like God, that's an act of God. Like God is saying, I am pushing those things. Like I, I know all things, I see all things, but in Jesus I am declaring I will no longer remember their unrighteous acts. They're perfect forever. I've declared it, I'm God, I get to do that. And then it gets better. In addition to that, the Bible says now he's making you holy. So you've been made perfect forever, and he's making you perfect. This is what's going on. That's what's going on. This is, this is a big deal. That, that's our identity in Christ. And I, I want you to hang on to that thought because I'm going to ask you about it in, in a second. In Christ, you are perfect. That's your identity. That's what God has declared over you in Jesus. That's who God says that you are, okay? So now let's talk about what to do uh, with texts like this. When we get, I mean, that's 18 verses of just really heavy, amazing, good stuff. And so I'm going to give you some, some things that might flow out of that for you, uh, just some application. Here's the first. Uh, I would challenge uh, every believer in Jesus to remember where their power comes from. To remember where their their power comes from. Remember the list and the laws. They have no power to make you uh, godly. They they have no power. They they can point you. They can point you to godliness. But they have no power to produce it in you. Right? And so you just need to remember this. Because we like lists. And we we continue to make lists. And we make lists and lists and lists. And hear me. It's not that those things are necessary. I'm not saying it's bad to listen to Christian music. I'm not not saying that that it's bad to do. What I'm saying is that your list is external. And does nothing for your heart. 
Okay? So, so your list uh, cannot produce genuine true fruit. So, so the answer then is if our power is not found in the external and our power is only found in the internal, then we need to change what our focus is. Because we focus on the list, thinking that the more things on our list that we have and the list points to God, somehow that's going to make us like God. And we think that that is spiritual progress. That is not spiritual progress. Spiritual progress, John 15, Galatians 5, is abiding in Jesus who actually produces real fruit. Okay, It's not stapling dead fruit to the exterior of your tree. But that's what we do as Christians, and we call that spiritual progress. God, look at all the godly things I'm doing. See how much progress I've made. The only progress you can truly make in the kingdom of God is to daily understand your need for Jesus more and more and to turn to him more and more and to spend time with him more and more and to abide in him more and more and to walk in his spirit more and more. That's spiritual progress and it's a daily battle and struggle to remain in Jesus, isn't it? John 15, Jesus says, I'm the vine and you're the branches. Man remains in me and my words in him, he will bear much fruit. Eventually he says, this is to my Father's glory. She bear much fruit, proving yourselves to be my disciples. The funny thing about John 15, if you read to the, to, to the end in context, John 15, 16, it says, this is to my Father's glory that you'll bear fruit that will last. What, what do you think happens to those apples I stapled to the outside of my tree after a couple of weeks? What do you think happens to them? They rot, right? Look nasty. No longer can I fool anybody because now they're going to drive by and think it's a big prune tree or something, right? Oh, what, what kind of tree is that? I don't want one of those. But when that fruit remains in the vine, it's fruit that lasts, isn't it? It's fruit that lasts. That's the promise of Jesus. And so, guys, what I'm talking about, this is, this is, this is a natural thing. It's not unnatural, it's a nat- when we remain in, in, in Christ, these things naturally. Galatians 5 says, says that the Spirit of, it says we're to walk in the Spirit because it says the things of the Spirit naturally oppose the things of the flesh. It's a natural thing. It means you don't have to write more lists. It means that you don't have to carry around more commands. It means that if you walk in the Spirit of God, the Spirit of God naturally is not a sinful spirit. So naturally, it produces fruits of righteousness in you. Naturally. This is how we're meant to live, okay? And so I would just say to you, remember where your power comes from. Stop trying to staple uh, fruit that won't last to the outside of your life and start focusing on the internal part of your life that can produce a wellspring of fruit, fruit that will last, all right? Number two, I'd encourage you to make sure that The love of God is your motivation. Make sure that the love of God is your motivation. If I can speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but I have not love, I am nothing. You can can put before that whatever you want to. If I serve in every capacity of the church, but I don't love God and I I don't love people, everything I've done is... Nothing. If I spend my whole life and I make a good amount of money, but I don't actually love God and I don't love people, my life has been nothing. If I teach my kids how to read their Bible every day and and I make them go to church every Sunday and and I, I give a list of rules and they outwardly obey, but they don't love Jesus, my parenting has accomplished nothing. 
I stay married for 60 years, and as a husband, my wife doesn't look more like Jesus because of my relationship with her, and I don't wash her in the water of the Word, and I don't serve her like Christ loved the church, my marriage has accomplished nothing. Apart from Christ, this is Jesus speaking, I can do nothing. Nothing. Make sure that the love of God is your motive. I'm not telling you to stop doing things. I'm saying if, if, if the things that you do aren't motivated by love for God, then you've got to get your love of God back first. Okay? It's the book of Revelation, right? Church in Ephesus, like doing great things. You, you've done great things, yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken your first love. Remember the height from which you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. What do you do at first? <laughs> right? I mean, you guys, you remember when you first met your woman, you were like, oh my God, she's so beautiful. Your hands would get sweaty. You'd have to wipe them off before you'd hold her hand. You'd get little butterflies in your stomach. You remember when you first met the Lord? How you didn't care who was in the room. You were going to shout and sing at the top of your lungs. You'd raise your hands. You'd fall on your face. Didn't matter. TV was a lot less important. Right? Love of God. Love of God. Do the things you did at first. Number three, we need to wrap up. I'm going to say closely... Guard your identity in Christ. Closely guard your identity in Christ. You've been forgiven forever. You've been made perfect forever. This is your identity. Again, uh, this book we've been reading by by J.D. Greer, The Gospel, and I don't usually recommend a, a ton of his stuff, but this book is so good. He says within it, Satan's most effective tool is to take our eyes off of what God has declared over us in the gospel. God has declared that we're perfect. And you know what Satan wants to do? Like God, God declared who Jesus was, and you know what Satan did? He, he looked at Jesus in the desert, and he said, did, did God really say, this is what he did with Adam and Eve, right? Did God really say, like, listen, if you really are the Son of Man, which God has declared you to be, if you really are, can't you turn these stones into bread? If you really are? He's going to attack your identity in Christ. And here's the deal. He's going to want you to base your identity, your standing before God, off of anything other than Christ's finished work. He's going to want you to base it off anything other than the fact that Jesus has made you perfect once and for all. He's going to want you to base it off your standing. How did your week go, right? And so if you had a good week, you're going to come to church and you're going to be like this. Yes, God, I am here and I am such a gift to you. And, and yeah, let's do this, right? And you had a bad week, you're going to come to church. You're going to come to church with your head down and, and you're going to feel like you can't lift your head up to the one that, that is the lifter of heads, by the way. And, and you're going to feel this distance from God. Why? Because the enemy has convinced you that you're standing before God has something to do with what you have done, with what you have accomplished, with how much of the thing on your list you managed to succeed in and and yet Jesus is going I have succeeded for you you don't need the list I have declared you you've been declared by my father perfect forever done done that's your identity in Christ act like that so you've got to guard that identity because the enemy is real and he will do everything in his power to distract you from who you truly are 
everything in his power. And, and, and friends, once you lose that truth, I am perfect in Jesus, you have opened up the floodgates for the enemy to attack you. Opened up the floodgates. When the enemy attacks, got, got a couple words for him, ready? Three. It is finished. It's finished. Bring it on because it is finished. Now listen, I'm being made holy. That's in the present tense. God is making me holy, but I've already been declared perfect. So you're fighting a losing battle. It is finished, even though I'm not quite yet, right? Nail that down. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for loving us. Thank you for your word. Pray that you would um, fall upon our hearts, that you would help us. You'd be a, a gentle reminder to us this morning of, of who we need to be and, and all that you are. We love you. Jesus, I, I just pray by the power of your spirit that you work in our hearts now. Uh, in your holy and precious name we pray. Amen.